I'm Bill Lawrence, and this is my big bag of onions. The cough made to California, broken hearts that boss alone. And through this night we'll share a lover On that dark radio How the soul may be so lonely Hands pressed cold against the phone See all the stars descending right ahead I just booked my trip to Thailand on an online travel website and printed out my e-ticket. I made a spur-of-the-moment decision because my schedule had recently opened up. I'd gotten in a little bit of a rut, so decided a little spontaneity in my life couldn't hurt. Also, I was growing very weary of the cold weather and thought it would be nice to hit the beach. I was really excited to be in the water and feel the waves again. Hopefully, my accommodations will be good. I booked them online as well, and I've only seen the pictures. The pictures look good on the website, but I'll be pretty angry if it's some sort of a scam. Oh well, I guess I'll see when I get there. Sometimes if you want to be spontaneous, you have to roll the dice. We've all done that, I think. What? Roll the dice, you mean? Roll the dice. We don't know exactly what we're going to do. Actually, this is kind of strange because... It's not strange, but we don't do that when we go on a trip. We just buy the airplane ticket and figure it out when we get there. Always. Every time. When we get there, you know... Hopefully we'll find a hotel. If we don't, we'll be sleeping on the beach, which we've actually done before. I love sleeping on the beach. Secure. You might not. 
I recently had a baby, my first. My son, Kit, was born on the 3rd of January this year. I am a mother. I'm also a mother without a mother. My mum died five and a half years ago. Every time people have asked what it feels like to be a parent, the only word that feels remotely close to the truth is existential. In an instant, I took one step closer to the exit, bringing me in stark contact with my mortality and I am entirely responsible for another human life. Being a mother without a mother feels as lonely as some kind of divine homesickness. This aloneness emerged during my pregnancy. In my third trimester, I experienced every so often an all-consuming and frightening feeling of aloneness. I'd never heard anyone talk of feeling alone during pregnancy, nor read anything about it, and so I felt rather surprised and confused by my experience. I was growing a life inside me, growing my family, constantly with someone else. Why was I alone? After a lot of reflection, it became clear to me that this aloneness was in response to the absolute unavoidable truth that giving birth was something I had to do entirely alone. Whilst I knew my husband would be there and my midwife, no one else in the world could give birth to my baby for me. Perhaps the fact that my mum couldn't be there either amplified the sense of aloneness. But even if she were alive, it was still only me that could do it. Being in touch with that depth of aloneness stirred up the existential reality that we are all ultimately alone in the world. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Be seeing you.
the man known as the boss certainly knows how to work a room. He recalls walking into bars as a child, past the smell of beer, booze, and aftershave, to peer up at his father through cigarette smoke and tell him, "Mom wants you to come home." Mr. Springsteen then starts into the song, "My Father's House," but stops in the middle to recount a dream he had shortly after his father died, where he ends up watching himself perform a while with his father. For a moment, we both watched the man on fire on stage. He recalls, "I say, look, Dad, that guy on stage. That's how I see you." When he resumes singing, the lyrics carry more power than when he wrote them. He does a similar trick with "Born in the USA," which he pointedly reminds the audience was meant as a protest song. He sings it after talking about friends he lost in the Vietnam War, and after telling how he and two of his friends managed not to get drafted. Although their numbers were called, I sometimes wonder who went in my place because somebody did. The rendition that follows, played on acoustic guitar and sung without any enthusiasm for the song's famous title chorus, is true to its crushingly downbeat verses. It feels nothing like the rock anthem that he and the E Street Band released in 1984. This is a 68-year-old man considering his mortality and shaping his legacy. Okay, 'cause I don't want to see.
desks at which you stand are all the rage. Abundant evidence suggests that sitting down for long periods is bad for health and that working standing up is thus better for you. But is it better for the job? A piece of research just published in Psychological Science by Yaniv Mama of Ariel University in Israel and his colleagues suggests it might be. Standing takes more effort than sitting does and might therefore be expected to require more mental attention. The muscles involved have to be monitored and fine-tuned constantly by the brain. Psychological experiments suggest that attention is a finite resource. Standing might thus be expected to reduce the amount of it available to be given elsewhere. A counter-hypothesis, though, is that standing creates mild stress, and experiments have also shown that, when people are under stress, their cognitive performance improves. To distinguish between the two, Dr. Mama put some volunteers through what is known as the Stroop test while they were standing or sitting. The Stroop test requires participants, in this case 50 university students, to state the printed color of words that are themselves the names of colors. In some cases, the meaning of the word and the color in which it is printed are the same. In others, they are different. For example, the word blue printed in yellow ink. Decades of experience have shown that it takes a volunteer longer to state the color of the ink when it is different from the meaning of the word than it does when they are identical, and that the gap can be increased still further by imposing other mental demands at the same time. The upshot was that those who were standing when they took the test did significantly better at it than those who were sitting. Well, 
Safe locked in your room Get closer, reverse and stop Fly silent to the icy mountain Make circles with lions there Soft paws and steel blade This night's all night 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 This night's on wires Deep got bright eyes This night's all than anything I can kind of think of is that why do you do it? I mean, what, why do you grow? Like, can you eat these? Uh, can you eat a giant pumpkin? And, you know, no, you can't. But you can't plow a field with a thoroughbred horse. Um, and if you think about how fantastic horse racing is, a little bit like the effort it takes to grow a giant pumpkin. Um, 
of hundreds of hours um, caring for it, nurturing it, protecting it from sunburn, making sure that the leaves don't wilt, making sure that 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 fertilization is at its at, at, at always at its peak and that it never goes into a decline um, and is always moving forward, getting bigger and larger and more beautiful. Growing orchids means that that's really something that's all about the beauty of the flower or raising a racehorse or growing a giant pumpkin. Um, it's, a, it's, it's about the endeavor and the intent and the spirit that's required to do it. That, that's the reason why. Try 
show of hands, how many of you have unfriended someone on Facebook because they said something offensive about politics or religion, childcare, food? And how many of you know at least one person that you avoid because you just don't want to talk to them? It used to be that in order to have a polite conversation, we just had to follow the advice of Henry Higgins and My Fair Lady, stick to the weather and your health. But these days, with climate change and anti-vaxxing, those subjects are not safe either. So this world that we live in, this world in which every conversation has the potential to devolve into an argument where our politicians can't speak to one another and where even the most trivial of issues have someone fighting both passionately for it and against it, it's not normal. Pew Research did a study of 10,000 American adults and they found that at this moment we are more polarized, we are more divided than we ever have been in history. We're less likely to compromise, which means we're not listening to each other, and we make decisions about where to live, who to marry, and even who our friends are going to be based on what we already believe. Again, that means we're not listening to each other. A conversation requires a balance between talking and listening, and somewhere along the way we lost that balance. Now, part of that is due to technology, the smartphones that you all either have in your hands or close enough that you could grab them really quickly. According to Pew Research, about a third of American teenagers send more than 100 texts a day. And many of them, almost most of them, are more likely to text their friends than they are to talk to them face to face. This has got nothing to do with onions. There is no bag, and I might not be Bill, but something's big.
Now, there are several different types of vowel pronunciation changes in this Texas dialect. The first one is what I call lilt truncations of vowels. This is where a couple of diphthongs or double vowels, oi and i, become single vowels, aw and i, but they continue to have the lilt. For example, not boy and joy, but ba and jaw. It's sort of the aw with a little uh tag on it. Baw, baw, jaw. The man's name, raw. You hear this inflection right with it, raw. If I just went jaw, baw, raw, it wouldn't sound that Texas impression. Now the next group of pronunciation changes are what I call the minor lilt extensions. These are vowel changes which continue having the lilt, but as the lilt comes in, there's a little extra uh, uh, uh vowel at the end of them. For example, the first one is the e vowel, as in city and suspicious. And you get this little suspicious, suspicious. As you lilt, it just extends into the vowel. Now, if you do it without the lilt, nothing's going to happen. If you do suspicious, suspicious, you got a lilt and that little jog in pronunciation should come along with it.
As every sailor will tell you, almost anything immersed in seawater for long enough will be settled by living creatures. Wind turbines, or rather the concrete pilings upon which they sit, are no different. Turbines in the North Sea provide a particularly enticing home for a type of tasty edible mollusk called the blue mussel. Fino One, a German research platform for instance, was found to have an average of 4.3 tons of mussels clinging to each of its four piles. Dr. Slavik and her colleagues wondered what might happen as more and more turbines proliferate across the North Sea. One thing seems certain, there will be plenty more mussels. The team calculate that if all the wind farms currently planned for the North Sea are built, they will provide extra habitat equal to about a fifth of the naturally occurring mussel beds along that sea's coasts. This will have consequences. Mussels eat plankton that they filter from the surrounding water. Dr. Slavik's computer modelling suggests plankton numbers around wind farms could fall by as much as 10%. Since plankton are at the start of most marine food chains, that will mean less of them for other animals, such as anemones, scallops and jellyfish, and thus less of those species and others that in turn depend on them. It will, however, mean more food for species that eat mussels, of which there are many, starfish, seagulls, seals, and not least, people, especially Belgians. Stage fright Just stand 
In 1922, there was established a society called the International Society for the Welfare of Cripples. That's what it was called, and that was considered progressive and completely okay. Now, in 1960, as you might imagine, the name of this place was changed to the International Society for the Rehabilitation of the Disabled, not the Welfare of Cripples. But that exemplifies a phenomenon that we're all familiar with, and that in some ways frustrates us, which is that a term that's considered perfectly okay today, for some reason, after 15 or 20 years, often it can seem for some reason, ends up being processed as a slur. And I don't think any of us are wishing that there were something called a society for the welfare of cripples now. But when we experience this in the here and now, we can often feel like there's something that. Can be called and has been called by Steven Pinker, who needs no introduction. The euphemism treadmill. The idea being that to be at least a relatively enlightened person is to get used to having to renew various terms, especially for things that are rather sensitive or prickly, to the extent that you can start wondering where you stand and why we have to keep having new terms for what. Can seem, after all, to be the same thing. Love will tear us apart again. 
was a highly feared young man with a great reputation. He was often known as one of those Gloucester boys, and he spent some 20 years locked away in an institution with thousands of other people just outside Bristol. He couldn't carry a backpack big enough for all the labels that were thrown onto him by the people charged with his responsibility. But one day, in 2008, he left this institution and was given a crack at life, just as you or I understand it, living in a flat in a Somerset village where he began to build a future. Of course, getting a job was particularly challenging for him. But he had a passion for recycling, and soon he began visiting villagers and collecting plastic and tin and taking them along to the local recycling centre, where he was paid for what he gave them by the weight. A few years later, he developed a small business. And before he knew it, he was recommended for and actually won a Green Award at a black tie dinner in London. Most likely, you think I'm talking about a man leaving prison, having paid the price for some very serious misdemeanor, and then somehow making a successful journey back into an ordinary life. Tragically, I'm not. I'm telling you, the real story about somebody I know who's got a learning disability and spent 20 years of his life on a locked ward in a hospital just because he had a learning disability. Look here, you're listening to Big's Big, to Bum, Big, Bill's Big Bag of Onions.
Join me again soon for another journey through the pleasures of music, words, and sound. Be seeing you. Bill's Big Bag of Onions has been produced and directed by Adrian Cohen and is a guppy production for Colm Radio.